Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 74, Koba, Lenin's Left Leg. Last time, we told the story of young Soso, Joseph Jugashvili, a.k.a. Stalin. His mother, Keke, overjoyed that he survived infancy, led her Sosolo to first the Gori Church School, then the Russian Orthodox Seminary in Tiflis, Georgia. But there were rumblings in young Joseph's head that couldn't rationalize his life in the seminary with the outside world, especially after witnessing an execution of two peasants. Soso was unhappy at the seminary. He questioned authority, scripture, and everything around him. He began to believe that the church was only there to placate the peasants or keep them in line. This transformation in opinion and beliefs was not sudden, but gradual, picking up speed as he came in contact with radical writings of Kachev, Bakunin, Herzen, and Chernyshevsky. The reason Soso was being made aware of these books was because Tiflis was a place that radicals came to, to escape the persecution in St. Petersburg. Soso was transforming himself not into the older, wiser Joseph, but into the revolutionary persona known as Koba. Marxism, as taught by people like Georgi Plakhanov and Pavel Axelrod, swept through the Tiflis Seminary like a firestorm. The idea of self-sacrifice was an easy concept for the young men to grasp and embrace. They also understood why revolution was critical at this time in Russian history, before the communes were dismantled to be replaced by capitalism. The idea of the commune is an essential part of Marxist theory. All work together for the common good. To Karl Marx, the great difficulty for capitalist societies was the change to a communal way of life. But Russia's peasants were already in a communal society, going back to the beginnings of serfdom. The Russian Tsar's dilemma was how to change from a communal system to a capitalistic one. The revolutionaries did not want this to occur as it would delay the socialist state. Their answer was violent revolution. Soso needed a new name, a nom de guerre something to define his admission to the revolution. He chose Koba, the name of a character from Georgian author Kazbegi's book, The Patricide. The hero of the book, Koba, was sort of a Robin Hood, but he only robbed the rich. A criminal, but a useful one, was just what Bakunin talked about when he said, quote, Let us unite with the savage world of the violent criminal the only revolutionary in Russia. Koba was now becoming more frequently absent from the seminary, leading Marxist discussion groups. He also joined the social democrat organization, the Masami Dazi. He was being written up by the teachers for reading forbidden books, publishing forbidden writings, and so on. Koba was also a polarizing figure in the seminary, as they either hated him, or followed him. There was no middle ground with little Koba. Yes, little Koba. You see, Joseph was a small person, 
But he had a type of charisma that sucked so many in. Bigger and tougher boys were lit around by Koba, doing his bidding so that he would remain their dear friend. Dear friend. So many would die by their dear friend's command, taking their belief that he still loved them moments before a bullet to their head ended their life. But he had no real friends. He was the solo revolutionary, as described by Kachev. He was the revolution. By now, Koba was challenging the seminary to throw him out. But why didn't he just leave? Soso was still fearful of his mother Keke. Koba stopped going home for vacation. Then the seminary had enough, and Joseph Trugashvili was dismissed. There are three versions of the cause of his dismissal. There's, of course, Stalin's version, quote, chucked out of the seminary for Marxist propaganda. Then there's the official version, quote, on the dismissal of Joseph Jugashvili from the seminary for failure to sit in examination. And the third, uh, pretty interesting one, he just didn't pay his tuition. In reality, a little of the first two reasons and a lot of reason number three was why he was most likely tossed. Whatever the truth, the transformation was complete. In 1899, the former seminarian was now the 21-year-old Koba, the revolutionary. In 1900, young Koba became aware of an up-and-coming form of Marxism known as Leninism. He was entranced. The newspaper Ishra, or The Spark, spread Lenin's views with an epigraph which read, quote, From a spark, a flame would be kindled. Koba was now working at an observatory, hiding his illegal books there when his mother, Keke, came to visit. Try as she could, she was unable to convince Soso to return to the seminary. Her Sosolo was gone, and only Koba remained. A violent protest was planned, but before it could explode, many of the leaders were arrested. But strangely, Koba escaped. In 1901, on May 1st, a riot did occur with numerous arrests and casualties, but again, Koba disappeared. Now he headed into the revolutionary underground with countless other young associates. As Trotsky put it in his book on Stalin, quote, Those were the days of the 18 to 30-year-olds. Revolutionaries older than that were few and far between. The words committee and party still had an aura of novelty. They charmed young ears like a seductive melody. Anyone who joined the organization knew that prison and exile awaited him in a few months' time. It was a matter of honor to hold out as long as possible before being arrested and to remain firm in the face of the gendarmes. Koba dressed the part of the self-sacrificing revolutionary. He wore the same red tie and dirty white shirt everywhere. But more importantly, he followed the teachings of Lenin. As A. Arsenidze said of young Koba, quote, he worshipped Lenin. He deified Lenin. 
He lived on Lenin's thoughts, copied him so closely that we jokingly called him Lenin's left leg. In 1902, Lenin's book, What is to be Done, came out, and Stalin inhaled its contents. In it, Lenin insisted that even though Marx believed that capitalism needed to become installed in a society before socialism could take over, Russia did not need this. Instead, it could leapfrog that step and move straight into the socialist utopia through the way of a violent coup. The plan for Koba's future was now mapped out. Now he knew he had to get close to his idol, Lenin. But the police were on to young Koba. He was already known to them as the leader of a small group of Lenin's supporters in Georgia. He was also a polarizing figure, as he was in the seminary. As the police report states, quote, The Batum organization is headed by Jugashvili. Jugashvili's despotism has aroused the indignation of many members, and there is a schism within the organization. His iron fist rule was seen early in his revolutionary career. At midnight on April 5, 1902, Koba was arrested for the first time in Batum, Georgia. From there, he was sent to the dreaded prison in Kutasai, Georgia. Here, he began to mingle with common criminals, who Koba was able to communicate and relate to easily. He remembered Kachev's words, Ally yourself with the criminal world. The small stature Koba cast a large shadow over the prison. He could take the guard's beatings, as he did when he was so-so, and his parents beat him. Others were impressed by the small man. Others were intimidated. Even those who were liked by Koba feared him. N. Vereshchak was quoted as saying, quote, Koba was handcuffed to a companion. When he caught sight of me, he smiled. He had a strange smile, which sometimes sent a shiver down your spine. From Kutasai, Koba was shipped to Nizhnaya Uda in Irkutsk, a cold and foreboding place. Here he received a letter from Lenin, or so he thought. It was actually a letter signed by Lenin, distributed all over Russia. But Koba believed it to be a personal communique from his idol. Whatever the reality, he was in. Koba had to get out of Uda to meet up with his idol Lenin. So on January 5th, 1904, he succeeded in escaping. But how? The distance from Uda to Tiflis, where he wound up, was enormous, and the weather was frightfully cold and miserable. His forged documents suggested that he was a Russian peasant. The problem with that was his heavy and unmistakable Georgian accent. He was to stay free for four years, which is somewhat inconceivable as the Tiflis secret police, the Okhrana, would have had Koba on their radar for sure. Speculation is rampant that Koba became a double agent for the Okhrana, as many revolutionaries did. Stalin denied that 
and no records exist of his complacency, as was found on many of his comrades like Kamenev. But as Trotsky put it in his bi biography of Stalin, quote, a prominent revolutionary rarely returned to his native place. He would be too conspicuous. Now it was 1905, and revolution was in the air. Koba made his way to Tamerfors, Sweden, for the first Bolshevik conference. The question again arises, how did he get there with another Russian passport when the trains to Sweden were teeming with Ochrana agents? Either young Koba was extremely lucky, or he likely had help. In Tamerfors, Koba met Lenin for the first time, and here is his account of the meeting. Quote, In my imagination, I pictured Lenin as a giant. How disappointed I was to see a very ordinary human being. It was generally accepted that a great man must arrive late at meetings, so that participants will await his appearance with reverent awe. But to his amazement, Lenin arrived on time. And he chatted with rank and file delegates. Koba did nothing to distinguish himself except make some truly offensive anti Semitic remarks like these quote, Lenin is indignant because God has given him comrades like the Mensheviks. What sort of people are they? In fact, these Martovs, Dons, and Axelrods. Circumcised Yids. The lot of them. Then there's that old bag, Vera Zazulich. You can either march into battle with them nor make merry with them. Or this. They don't like fighting these treacherous shopkeepers. The Jewish people have produced only traitors, people useless in battle. Orators like Trotsky and Zinoviev stole the show at Tamerfors, Paris, London, and Berlin. But Koba still caught Lenin's eye. Why would such an uncouth individual with such strong anti-Semitic sentiment make such an impression? As Rodzinski said in his book on Stalin, quote, If Lenin could overlook such utterances, Koba must have been needed by the cause. Very much needed. He must, in fact, have distinguished himself in some important way. On June 26, 1907, Koba was involved in an attack on a baggage train full of money and guarded by Cossacks. Bombs went off and numerous people were dead and injured. According to the police, quote, the criminals seized a sack containing money under cover of the smoke and suffocating fumes. They opened fire from revolvers at several points in the square and made their escape. Robbery and murder for the cause was sweeping the revolutionary community. Bakunin and Kachev had laid the groundwork, justifying the bloodshed and mayhem, with Trotsky and Lenin fanning the flames. Koba was all too willing to act on their words. Then Lenin decided to team up two revolutionaries, Koba and Kamo. Kamo born Simon Ter Petrosian, was a childhood friend of Koba's from Gori. 
Camo's sister said, quote, Our father used to get furious. What do you see in the ragmuffin so-so? Aren't there any worthwhile people in Gori? They'll get you in trouble. But it was no good. Soso had a magnetic influence on us. As for my brother, he was simply bewitched by him. Camus helped Koba with a number of heists for the good of the cause. But since Stalin wanted little of his days of terrorist actions known, Camus had an unfortunate accident on July 15, 1922. Another friend dead. More were to come. Then Koba met one of the loves of his life, Ekaterina Svanidze. They married in secret in church, a no-no in the life of a revolutionary. But soon after marriage and the birth of a boy, Yakov, she died of an unrecorded illness. Over the next few years, 1909 and 1910, Koba was arrested a number of times, but he escaped each time, strangely, quite easily. A new person entered Koba's life, Georgi Orzenokidze, under orders from Lenin to get Koba out of town. Quickly thereafter, he met someone else, someone to be a close associate of his until the day he died, one Vyacheslav Skriabin, also known as Molotov. Join me next time as Koba begins to move up the ranks of the Bolshevik party and join in on the second Russian Revolution. Now, I won't be doing a personal event in Russian history today, as I've also recorded a sample of what the Russian Rulers podcast will be like when we're done with Putin later in 2012. Episode 75 will be on Mikhail Bakunin, a famed anarchist writer and philosopher who inspired many revolutionaries over the years, including Stalin, Lenin, and many of the 1960s and 70s revolutionaries as well. And Before I sign off, I'd like... Uh, to just announce that uh, I was interviewed on Ancient Rome Refocused by Rob Kane about the similarities of the Russian Tsars and the Roman emperors. It's an interesting uh, interview, I think. Uh, I love his podcast. It's Rome is one of the other podcasts I would have done had it not been for the Russian history podcast. So uh, please listen to it. It's available on iTunes. It's uh, Ancient Rome Refocused, and the author of the podcast is Rob Kane, and I'm somewhere in the middle of his podcast, an interesting one about uh, you know, Rome and the kind of the later stages of it with the, uh, the, the invasions and the sacking of Rome. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, please visit us on Facebook at the Russian Rulers History Podcast Group, where you can leave a message, make a suggestion, or ask a question. And now, as always, Das Vidania Ispasiba Bolshoya.